Hello? Hello, David. Can you hear me? Yeah, uh, you were able to connect. Great. Uh, well, I'm excited to talk to you about uh, 3D printing. I had a couple of podcasts that I've done. Kind of get uh, ready. And uh, do you want to just uh, take some time, introduce yourself, and uh, tell about the 3D printing that you're doing? Uh, sure. Uh, my name is Gabe Bentz. Uh, I'm a mechanical engineer with a background in robotics and product design. Uh, Slant 3D uh, is a production 3D printing company that focuses on, on very large-scale 3D printing. So we generally end up competing in the injection molding space uh, because we've hit a scale where there's a break-even with molding of about 100,000 parts. So it's just much easier for creators and new products to get to market, test markets, and, and scale up without that huge upfront barrier of tooling and traditional manufacturing. Anymore, we're working even harder to push that number down so that not only, so that a volume is not required to be economical. Right now, we've got it to where, yes, we can make a plastic part for five cents if you're making 100,000 of them, but we're trying to get it down to where you can make a part for five cents by making just one of them, an original part. Then it becomes a really nifty digital manufacturing backend that makes manufacturing almost equivalent to app development, web development, programming, and, and software as far as the ability to iterate and, and long-term development. So that's what we're doing at Slant 3D. Uh, you know, you, you said a lot in just that uh, brief introduction. One I'd like to go back to is uh, we were, you were talking about the tooling. And, uh, you know, that's uh, traditionally when you did a tool or even did a die, um, that was a huge investment. I mean, you had to design this the uh, machines or if the machine exists, then you had to have the specialized uh, parts. Do you want to talk about? Kind of like how things were done traditionally and the costs associated with that. Uh, sure. The new uh, so traditionally, as, as recently as about 10, well, now and in general, uh, if you want to make a part at scale, a plastic part, we'll, we'll stay focused on plastics here, you have to buy an injection mold or a die, as you mentioned, which are pre-machined parts that allow you to form that piece very reliably, consistently, and continuously at high scale. Those things are custom parts that have to be created and machined, which are exceptionally expensive uh, in comparison to the rest of the part. When they're in operation, very often the pieces they produce are only a few cents per piece, but the tool itself is a few thousand, 10,000, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. Um, so it's just, and they ha you have to purchase that tool before you ever even get your first part. And then if there's a mistake or customer feedback tells you a change needs to be made, you have to repurchase that tool all again. So it's just a, a very big upfront challenge, especially for new products, new companies, new product creators uh, who are on a budget and are trying to verify if a product is viable for the market. Uh, having that tooling cost upfront is a, a big barrier to entry. Um, Basically, what I like to say is you, if, if you want to make a physical thing, you better already be rich um, because you're, you're uh, making a big old bet and hoping that it works out. And then after you get the tool, 
there is also all the challenges of shipping the parts, assembling the parts, warehousing the parts, and fulfilling the parts. What 3D printing allows is instead of having to do all of this at volume, at scale, where you need 100,000 parts or a million parts or even just 1,000 parts, you're able to bring it all back down to where you're iterating and developing one piece at a time because 3D printing has no tooling. You're essentially growing and materializing a new part each time from a digital file, which allows you to iterate on that digital file and iterate on the parts on the fly. You can update them again, just like an app, so that every part afterwards is a new piece and there is no large upfront tooling cost or retooling cost. Yeah, that's that's really interesting because um, how do you how do you do you want to explain how you go from computer aided design to the actual three uh, D printing and what that three D in printing entails? Is it you know you like you um, what's the difference between an industrial three D printing versus sure uh, like a uh, in the in the context of converting from a, a standard 3D model of some kind from a CAD program and going into uh, allowing a 3D printer to create that model. There's a software in between that's generally called a slicer, but it kind of depends on what 3D printing process you're using. But we're going to use slicer here. Um, and what it basically does is it cuts that 3D model into hundreds of individual layers, which are then converted into tool paths for the machine or layers for the machine that then follow. In our case, we use FFF 3D printing, which is, I like to say, a hot glue gun squirting out plastic. Um, it's basically a traditional CNC machine, but it is depositing material in kind of a coil pattern to then grow the part. But you have other machines that use layers of powder. You have resin machines that harden layers of resin one at a time. And all of those have their advantages. In the context of an industrial machine versus like the desktop machine, um, that's really, again, dependent on the individual 3D printing process. We focus on um, FDM, FFF, 3D printers at scale using hundreds of printers to produce hundreds of parts. That solves the speed problem for us. But industrial machines are generally considered faster um, on an individual machine basis, but they're also higher cost for that speed. So it the differences are many and can vary in all kinds of different ways, but it really depends on the, the model of production that is being used. Uh, large industrial 3D printers are basically the equivalent of a large industrial injection mold machine. They're big, expensive, there's only one of them, and they make a bunch of parts. Um, we believe in the more distributed model where we use hundreds of machines that produce at the same rate, but is much more robust, uh, much more flexible, and is able to produce finished parts more, much more quickly. Uh, so you mentioned in your background that you were robotics. Are you building your own uh, injection molding? So, uh, yeah, our, our 3D printer? printers, uh, we do, did develop in-house because we have so much automation in them that there was nothing off the shelf that could produce the way we needed them to. There's also just a problem in kind of the, the, the FDM 3D printing market where since it's predominantly focused on consumer machines, the, uh, a machine that someone would have in a garage, 
they're changing every six to 12 months. Um, and they don't have the kind of long-term durability that's needed for a production environment. So we need to make, make machines that were both super tough, very reliable, and able to produce for years consistently uh, without breaking down or having issues that were, were major. So we had to develop them ourselves because that just didn't exist on the market because there's not really a market demand for it uh, on the consumer side. So how does a company go from an idea, let's say they're, you know, they're uh, traditionally they've, they've, you order from a catalog, you get a part, uh, you know that part number, um, and then you, you know, you place your order for your quantity, create your invoicing and so forth, uh, or not invoice, but purchase order. What, what is the, is a very similar process that you do? Uh, you look at the computer-aided design um, get the specifications from their engineers. You get the, you determine the material. Uh, you figure out your cost, and, and you know basically run it like um, an online. Yes, uh, very close, and we're getting more and more to that catalog component where, yeah, basically we just store the three D models from an individual company, and then when either that company or their customers want the part. They order the part through the site and uh, we print and ship it to them. So that is a, a variation of it, but that's what we call print on demand. Um, but in a, a larger scale production context, if somebody needs okay. 100,000 pieces in two weeks, then it is ex almost the exact same process as injection molding. Yeah, they will they'll send us their specifications, their model, uh, we'll go back and forth through sampling for a little bit, verifying that everything is up to snuff, and then we'll move into production and produce that bulk order. Um, and that's kind of the traditional manufacturing model. But if they really want to take advantage of 3D printing, then yeah, they can basically just send us the file. And then when they need the part, they can order the part. Um, and it's delivered within a day or two. That's kind of interesting uh, because of the uh, almost on-demand type of service where you would probably set up some sort of a agreements, you know, and then, but to be able to just on-demand make a request for uh, uh, a set of parts, because maybe it's seasonal. There's certain types of the year that... Um, the demand for parts are higher. So there you, therefore you don't have to carry the inventory until you actually- That's absolutely true. And that's a, a cost that many companies don't really recognize right now, which are the, the inventory and carrying costs um, because they think, oh, well, well, we'll get a mold and we'll store these parts for three years or whatever it was. But if you think about a product like a dishwasher that has a, a useful life of five to 10 years, um, they have to store spare parts for that machine for five to 10 years which means that the warehousing is exceptionally expensive. Whereas if you use 3D printed spare parts, you have no carrying cost whatsoever. You perfectly match the demand of the market. And yeah, the part only exists when it is absolutely needed. Um, so it's much more efficient on the, the supply chain side of it all. That's really cool. You know, that on-demand uh, has been popular in Asia. Um, I'm starting to see more on-demand in America. 
as uh, companies are trying to streamline and remove um, remove costs, and like you were expensive to carry that, so why not use that money somewhere else? And then when you need it, um, you you just schedule your production. You make a call and get your products, and then have it delivered. Yeah, absolutely. And we're trying to push that even just a little bit further. Um, that process, yes, has been been formalized in traditional manufacturing for a while, but we're trying to actually make it kind of consumer ready in the context of basically a, a, an app store for physical parts, basically, where if somebody anywhere in the world designed a widget, gadget, or product that could be 3D printed, they can just upload the model for free and basically put it into our production system and then if anybody ever wants to order that physical product, they order the product and then we print and ship on demand. And then the designer gets a royalty from each one of those sales. So basically there is no cost to start manufacturing a product at scale in that way. We serve as the, the manufacturing backend the same way server farms serve as the backend for the internet serving up your web apps. So that's been a really exciting project to work on. It's called angled.io. So we've, we're really pushing to make it feasible for anyone, anywhere to start manufacturing anything as easily as, yeah, you would publish a blog post. You know, that was one of the uh, things I was talking about in one of my previous podcasts uh, about uh, fabrication technology. And, and uh, uh, several years ago, there was an MIT professor named Grishenfeld. I don't know if you studied Grishenfeld, but he was kind of a, a forward thinker. And uh, at MIT, he built a fabrication library or a lab, basically giving the students uh, the ability to uh, fabricate different types of parts. But then he got the idea that fabrication uh, really was co cost effective because he could reduce the cost of production he uh, can make smaller fabrication uh, devices, and then he could distribute these uh, over, you know, vast distances. And through internet, designs could be uh, downloaded. It sounds like that's kind of like what you're doing where uh, you're not really using an open source design pattern, but you are uh, doing some sharing of the um Yeah, that's... Sort, I, I would agree with that, um, but it's, I, I think sharing might be too much because we still try to make sure everybody has their design under control. Uh, they're, they're shared as much as, yeah, an, an iPhone app is shared and that anybody with an iPhone can download it or, or purchase it there. But the code or the original design is still held by the designer so that they can have value and build a brand and, and create things that other people may not be creating. So th there's certainly the, the value of being able to email a design anywhere in the world. We're able to work with designers in Russia, Zimbabwe, or anywhere else in the world who can just, again, yeah, email us the file and then they have distribution, shipping, and manufacturing in the United States instantaneously by using our 3D printing farms. Uh, real interesting. And what what do you see uh, the future for fabrication? Uh, you, I mean, you mentioned when I talked to you in the past 
that you're focused primarily on polymer. So things like uh, would be competitive with the injection molding. Uh, but what are some of the, uh, I guess, scopes that you're kind of thinking about? So right now, the, the interesting question that needs to, that is still being answered in the industry is what is the correct way to scale this up? Um, there's the model of the, the big hairy monster machine that can produce hundreds or thousands of parts or 3D printed parts. That's basically an injection molding machine just using the 3D printing process versus the distributed model of using 3D printing farms, which we use. Uh, we're in the minority of that right now because we're really the only large scale 3D printing farm in the United States and even the world uh, that's publicly known that I'm aware of uh, with more than several hundred machines. Um, but that the, the two variations in those models are, are being figured out right now and figuring out what the strengths and weaknesses of each one are. So we're, we're interested to see how that hashes out, not only because it's relevant to our business, but just in, in general, um, because it is a, a business model change, not just a technology change. In the context of the technology itself, um, the industry has created almost all the technology that we can possibly stand right now. There's a lot of good ideas and a lot of ways of making a 3D printed part, uh, which means that everything is terribly segmented. So there's there's a question of, again, kind of what the winning technologies are with the largest market capability. Um, and it's indeterminate yet of whether that's a competitive question or a, a market acceptance technology question. Um, seems like I lost your voice. Where did I cut out? Um, oh yeah, you just slightly cut out. Um, you were talking about the market competitive. Uh, yeah, it, uh, it, it's just selection. a question right now of whether uh, it's companies fighting against each other and the 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 strongest will survive, or if it's a question of if the market will even accept will accept one or the other. Because right now, 3D printing has a real uphill battle of acceptance within traditional engineering because it has a lot of um, bad publicity from its history. Both desktop machines and everything else have created um, a poor perception of 3D printing kind of in general uh, that almost every company or service has to overcome in order to prove themselves to cons uh, the, the end consumers. And while that's happening fairly quickly, that transition is happening, it's still present um, and there's still challenges in certain areas. There's a lot of things that 3D printing could be doing right now. It's not doing just simply because someone has decided they don't want to use that. They'd rather use molding or machining, even though they might technically from an engineering context be an inferior process, but tradition is tradition. Well, I think that's uh, definitely a challenge to getting entry, um, and you have to have the uh, a better product or a better way of doing things um, that companies companies uh, acknowledge that value. And, and the, also, the other thing um, is probably the media exposure. I know there's a lot of thought going into right now of companies that are 
starting uh, starting up into the new technologies, there's probably going to be a lot of failures where they're good ideas, but it just, uh, you know, trying to overcome Oh, uh, yeah, that's barriers. certainly true. There is a, everyone and their grandma is building a 3D printing company, seems like right now. Um, and yeah, there are interesting technologies and we'll hit the point where, yeah, there'll be a, a kind of a mass culling here in the next four or five years again very similar to what we had in uh, 2015 through 2016 when it was at the height of the consumer market. Um, but right now, 3D printing at least has a, a legitimate market to pursue. Uh, 3D printing is very viable for mass production or, or large scale production and mass production. Um, I don't think very many people realize the actual scale that it has. Most people think of 3D printing and they'll think, a uh, hundred parts, maybe a thousand if you're making something small and expensive. Um, but that's just not the case. Right now, you can produce hundreds of thousands of pieces that are the size of your fist, and it will be cheaper than using an injection mold. And then, of course, you have all the advantages of geometry control, um, complexity, and yes, the on-demand nature that saves you in carrying costs. But those parts of the business model and the business case aren't well understood very much right at the moment by the wider world. And the the actual capacity of 3D printing, I think isn't quite well understood inside the 3D printing industry itself um, because there are these self-imposed limitations that don't, don't make any real sort of sense to me at certain points because 3D printing has the exact same inputs as any other manufacturing process. You put in electricity, you put in plastic and out comes the finished part. That's true of injection molding. It's true of even machining. 3D printing has the advantage of not having anything else because with a mold, you have to also make the mold. With machining, you have a ton of waste material from the subtractive process. 3D printing is a zero waste version of manufacturing, which means theoretically, it should be the most efficient and most cost-effective production method in existence. Um, but it's not yet because the business models and the, the product design hasn't really caught up yet. That, that is a good point. I never thought about the uh, waste aspect to uh, machining, but yeah, when you look at, at uh, manufacturing and there is a certain level of waste that's occurring uh, and you can pass that on to the customer, but if you could remove that waste, then theoretically, like you said, it would be a more efficient way of doing things. And that would by itself then should lower the cost and that, that cost savings yeah, give you a, a competitive advantage at some point. Yeah. At some point uh, it seems like, so it seems like that the uh, scalability uh, the efficiency in removing waste, uh, the on-demand nature. I mean, it's all uh, set to become like a, a popular way of doing things in the future. Uh, just a matter of whether or not it's going to be accepted now, you know, if the timing is right. What do you think in terms of timing? Is it, it, it sounds like you have scalability. So at this point, is the timing right to be introducing this new technology? Yeah, I wouldn't call it a new technology. Um, I would think the the new scalability that 3D printing has um, is new. Um, HP Multijet Fusion uh, was only introduced in 2017. 
And while it's gained a reasonable amount of uh, market acceptance because of the, the, the engineering quality of the parts, it still really doesn't have a very large scale and it's still exceptionally expensive um, as compared to like FDM printer farms, which are also exceptionally scalable, um, but also very, very cost effective. But the thing that really needs to be done here is the, the technology exists and can be utilized in a number of different ways, but the the surrounding industries that utilize it haven't gotten the, the business model, the business case, or the understanding of it, the economics of it, to such a degree where it's gaining wide acceptance. Um, there's the there's the disconnect. Yeah, because you still have kind of you still have that kind of mentality. They have to do a, a get a price quote. They get the quote. They've been that's uh, a big one doing business with a certain uh, vendor and yeah. And so entry in as a new vendor uh, and a different way of doing things. Yes. Uh, And there's a few things hurting us on that, that verification on that uh, being a new supplier side, 3d printing has very few verification standards in it. So there's not many ways to hold a supplier accountable. Who's doing 3d printed parts for you. Um, and there, there is also just the fact that existing companies who could potentially use it don't know how, because what everyone is trying to do is to force past injection molded products into 3D printing. And while that can be done, it's not a good solution um, because it's like trying to make uh, an aluminum plane out of wood. Wood is fine and works really well in a lot of places, but it's not the... Uh, not right for that application. So the design for additive manufacturing is a place that is phenomenally lacking in the the skill base of general companies because they can't take advantage of the, the they can't make manufacturable parts that are optimal for 3D printing. Like for us, what we always tell our clients when we're working with them on the design of a new product to help them through this is we say, forget about volume, minimize surface area. In FDM, that is the optimum part. A solid sphere is the optimum part, or a slightly rounded cube is the optimum part. But what everybody does is if they're trying to make a cube, they'll make a cube and then they'll cut some big old rib out of it or something or some big old notch out of it to try to remove material, which is not something that should be done for 3D printing. That actually harms the part in all kinds Mm. of ways and dramatically increases cost. So trying to force an injection molded design into 3D printing is almost always a bad idea and poorly represents 3D printing to the client. But if you can help the client through the design process and create an optimal 3D printed part, then not only can it be produced cost effectively and at scale, um, then they can also take advantage of all the other advantages of print on demand, supply chain, all of that stuff. Yeah, and so I think you you did point that out earlier in the conversation about this partnership in design, and now it makes more sense why you would go through uh, the time and resource to partner is because uh, the design itself may lead to uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, less if at all possible, in our our company, design. we have a full design team that is always working with clients to make sure that their parts are optimal. 
Fantastic. Well, our time's uh, up. It went really quick and was very interesting. Did you, uh, do you want to just uh, have some closing uh, comments about your company and, or some things? Uh, we're always looking for new designers who are personally. looking to create uh, added, uh, 3D printed products. Um, like I said, one of the key initiatives that Slant3D has going is Angled.io, where anybody can upload a 3D model and immediately have free access to our manufacturing capability. So if anyone in the world orders your model, we produce it, pack it, ship it uh, for you, and then the designer receives a royalty. So we're always looking for new designers who can really take advantage of the process um, so that we can partner with them and, and get them on that site and help them grow. Does uh, uh, so do you you don't have like let's say like if it was a mom and pop shop and they had this idea of, of instead of uh, maybe buying a press molding for like say a, a coral uh, object that they kind of artsy put it together and uh, they give you a you know a 3D object. Uh, say they only want 50 or 100 of those manufacturers. Oh, yeah, that, that's the it. core part of our business. Uh, On a day-to-day -day basis, uh, Slant 3D operates as a contract manufacturer. Uh, we Our largest print farm, Print Farm Beta, will have over 800 machines when all is said and done. So anybody can send us a model and ask for 50, 100, 1,000, or 100,000, uh, and we can manufacture those for them. Fantastic. Well, thank you for uh, joining me today. And I uh, was very insightful uh, as you shared some of the challenges with 3D printing, uh, barriers that uh, you're facing, but also the opportunity side. If uh, Well, thank you, Dave, for having me on. Uh, more popular in the future.